Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 117. Today is an exciting day uh, for multiple reasons. One, uh, we're recording again. It's been a little bit of, of time since our last um, podcast. And man, I tell you what, when you kind of get out of your um, swing of things, uh, it, time goes by almost twice as fast, it feels like. So it's exciting to be back here. Uh, I have an exciting guest today, Jeff Hager. He's the owner and general manager of Big Elk Energy Systems. And if that name sounds familiar, especially if you're uh, here locally in Oklahoma, uh, you probably remember hearing him speak at our February uh, Young Businessman of Tulsa um, luncheon. Um, that podcast is actually on the separate podcast for YBT. Uh, but we did run into a little bit of a technical challenge with that in, in that the microphone uh, stopped recording about halfway through. So Jeff has agreed to come on to this podcast uh, for obviously a dialogue like what we normally do. Uh, but I also want to give an opportunity to speak a little bit uh, about uh, kind of pick up his presentation where he left off. So I'm going to leave a link in the actual podcast uh, notes so you can check out the YBT podcast and kind of hear the first half of that. Uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of pick up from uh, where he left off. Obviously, we had a little bit of a summary there to kind of uh, uh, give you a little bit of closure on the last podcast, but I think the best way to hear it is ultimately uh, from Jeff. So Jeff, if you can say hello to the audience, and if you don't mind, maybe tell them a little bit more, more about yourself, and then let's jump right into uh, where you kind of left off where uh, you had just gotten, um, I, I believe you had just gotten the building, and uh, you had gotten the, the $140,000 credit to buyer. Well, Evan, thank you for for having me on your podcast. I certainly appreciate it, and uh, and look forward to being able to share with your uh, with your audience, and uh, hopefully can contribute something of value that people can walk away with. But uh, regardless, uh, privilege is mine, and thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, like I'd said earlier, um, you had you had this building that you kind of had in mind that was mm -hmm. something that uh, was really the first step for you to uh, start this new business. You had walked away from a, a it sounds like a really good job. And uh, you had kind of done that, that thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs are, are, are always hesitant about is taking the jump, right? Jumping in with both feet and being fully committed to something. Uh, and then on top of that, trying to get the building and trying to get the funding and everything together at the same time, now you're actually putting more of your uh, additional funds into getting this building. It gets dragged out uh, longer than I don't I don't even know how you did it um, from a stress standpoint, because that seems like one of the things that would be probably, you know, just every single day. You know, the first thing you, you think of when you wake up and it's the last thing you think about when you go to bed. Uh, and then finally, uh, you you have this opportunity to get the building and they, they do something that really is uh, undeserved. They, they did not have to uh, credit you back for all the money that you had put up for extensions and securing the loans and stuff. Um, and, and now you're at a point where you can kind of move, uh, move forward to actually maybe take that second step. So the first one was, was a really, right. really long step. Right. No, that's, that, that's right. And, and, you know, the property was, was really important because the equipment we build is really large. So we had to have a big facility. And so that was, that was mission critical. And, and, uh, and you did a good job summarizing that part of it. I mean, it was a long process. Uh, my wife and I had at that point had liquidated everything we had and put every dollar in trying to uh, keep this property contract alive. 
uh, then it ended up falling through and then ended up coming back again. And like you said, you've got that part of the story on the, on the, the first podcast, but at the end of it, we get the miracle of this multi-billion dollar corporation, uh, certainly doing what we didn't deserve, uh, which was, uh, of their own accord, giving us our, our earnest money and extension contract from the previous one that had fallen through that yeah. they did not owe us, but it was $140,000 and, and as a result of that, that's that's really how my how my family uh, survived the next uh, eighteen months or so. And and not that it would take us eight uh, one hundred forty thousand dollars to live for eighteen months, but when you've accumulated that kind of debt, uh, just trying to maintain it on a monthly basis uh, is a, a, a pretty incredible task. So we were still, you know, bean burritos and ramen noodles uh, <laughs> through that through that time period. But you know, person beard and so so picking up from from that point when we when we uh when we finally get the building secured and can start the business you know here we are now located on a property that we feel was destined for us the way that it worked out and uh, while the road had been rough uh you know i was now encouraged thinking that we can finally get to work and start making money um so we opened the doors on october 8th of 2014 uh, a manufacturing company whose core offering is used in the hydrocarbon energy industry. And in November, one month later, uh, oil crashed and we went into what is arguably the longest and deepest energy downturn of our lifetime. <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, you know, we finally thought we got over a hump and then we, we faced the next challenge, which was a severe one. Multiple yeah. times we shouldn't have made it. So about one month after we started, we had an opportunity to secure uh, our first significant project. It required a short lead time. Uh, this was really easy for us to promise because we had no other business. And uh, we also didn't have any lights. Uh, we had this huge but dark facility. And I remember taking some product pictures using spotlights in the hopes of appearing legit to potential customers, <laughs> uh, even though what it actually looked like was a bunch of smoke and mirrors. You know, it was uh, spotlights in one section, but it was actually dark in the rest of the building. Um, during the downturn, uh, uh, there was a large project opportunity. And I remember going to the bid meeting and seeing 15 plus businesses all gathered together in the hopes of winning this project. Uh, and of course, all of them were older and larger than we were. Uh, we were told there'd be two awards due to the size of the project. And uh, wouldn't you know it, we came in third place. <laughs> uh, so depressed and on the verge of going under, I, I traveled to Kansas City for the weekend with my family to try and find some relief. Uh, as you can imagine, any sort of getaway from my family at this point in time meant destinations that could be reached on a single tank of gas. Yeah. Uh, so while there, I received a phone call from the project director. And he asked me if I was still interested in the project and said that one of the two companies that was awarded uh, was having a hard time passing uh, the company's credit evaluation, you know, and I got to be honest in my mind, I'm thinking, dear God, you know, how in the world would we pass a credit check? You know, so I asked him if if we could have the contact info of his senior credit analyst and if my CFO could speak with them directly. Uh, the two of them spoke. And next thing you know, uh, Evan, here came multiple emails uh, all carrying purchase orders totaling around six and a half million dollars. Wow. And, uh, you know, at that point, I, I wish I could say finally everything was starting to work out uh, just as I had planned. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, that's still not the case. Uh, having been having been through a few downturns myself, you know, just throughout my career, uh, I knew that this project would last us nine or 10 months. And I was confident it would be the thing to carry us to the other side. 
here's the problem. Two and a half years, it turns out, is longer than 10 months. <laughs> and uh, that's how long this downturn lasted. So as we were nearing the end of this mega project, it was obvious we didn't have enough backlog to sustain our current production levels. Uh, we were facing another great challenge. Uh, and this time, many people would be affected, not just me. So I decided to face the challenge with the transparency I'd always promised. Uh, so three months before the project concluded, I gathered everyone together and informed them the work was coming to an end and we didn't have enough business to justify current labor hours. Uh, so I told them I didn't want anyone buying new cars, new houses, et cetera, uh, and that they all needed to start banking their overtime checks for the next three months so that if I returned and had to make pay cuts, uh, they'd be in a stronger position to weather the storm. Uh, I also told them I knew it was risky to give out this information, but my hope was they'd stick with me. I repeated that same speech each month for the next three months. And on the day that I came in and informed everyone we were all taking a 10% cut, uh, my office became a revolving door uh, all day as shop guy after shop guy uh, came in to offer gratitude. They told me no one had ever treated them this way by giving them a heads up of bad times coming one guy said it would take a grenade to get him out of the position with our company. Um, and, and several told me that they were, they were in it with me until the end. Um, it somehow ended up being a great day. And I was just starting to think that maybe we we're going to make it after all uh, until two months later, unfortunately the market grew worse and we had to not only cut pay 10%, but also spend 401k matching. And my CFO said, if we didn't cut another 10%, we wouldn't survive the quarter. Uh, I asked him how many heads that would be instead of a pay cut, and he said 10. And we had about 80 people at the time, so a little over 10% of our workforce is what we were talking about. Uh, Evan, I gathered everyone together again and told them that in order to survive, we, we either had to cut another 10% or cut 10 people. And I told them that uh, come visit in private any next day until they thought we should do. And over two-thirds signed up to visit. Uh, of those, over 80% said they wanted half cuts and not pay cuts. I went back the next mold, everyone verdict, and that we would start the layoff right then and reconvene after it was done. Uh, and I was convinced it was going to be the worst day ever. I remember walking into the shop to visit with those that remained um, afterwards. And to my dismay, uh, I saw smiles on people's faces. The morale of the company had actually gone up. Um, and here's why. People realized that say in the importance and they felt voice was heard. The next two years, not a single person that remained from that cut company. Uh, in fact, again, because they knew that building was something special. Uh, now been about a year and a half since that story you'd alluded to at the beginning with the, the 140,000 yeah. on the, uh, on the property contract uh, that had been sustaining my family during this time period. Um, others were taking a 10% cut at this time, but unfortunately the company was still losing money and was no, in no position to start paying me yet. Uh, the bank was nervous. Investors were nervous. Uh, and that 140,000 was coming to an end and, uh, the stress was overwhelming, to say the least. Uh, once I found myself in the familiar situation of having no money on the thing, uh, and then to put faith in a uh, dream that had been two years prior. And uh, 
this time that I got a call from our senior tech accountant. He knows me, so I knew it had to be bad news and bad news. I said, well, let's end on. He said, Jeff, the bad news is your company lost over $3 million last year. I said, okay, I'm not sure how to recover from that, Pat. So what's the good news? He said, well, the good news is that your company lost so much money uh, that your investors have maxed out the amount of losses that they can claim and you get the rest. I said, okay, well, how much is that? He said, a little over a million dollars. All right, Pat. So what you're, what you're telling me uh, is that should I ever actually earn money again, I'll get to earn the next million tax free. Uh, And he said, yes, Jeff, but that's actually not the good news I was referring to. The good news is the tax code allows you to take these new losses and go backwards two years and claim them on previous returns. I'm calling to tell you that we're going to redo your 2013, 2014 taxes and everything you paid, you'll get refunded. So I, of course, said, well, now we're talking. Uh, how much money is that? And uh, and he said about $70,000, Jeff. Wow. And Evan, that's how that's how the Hager household survived the next 12 mm-hmm. months. And uh, And wouldn't you know it, as those 12 months were coming to an end, the company was finally in a position uh, to start giving me a paycheck and the industry started to come back. Um, Even though we were trying to stay afloat at the company uh, as if that wasn't enough, uh, there was an entirely different set of personal issues happening at home. And, you know, it might sound unbelievable now, but this will give you just a a snapshot of what the total landscape looked at that time. Um, my wife and I struggled with fertility issues. Uh, we had one son already, Seth, who was a miracle, uh, but we're told it wouldn't happen again. We tried to adopt from Russia, and we were 15 months into that process when Putin signed a law banning Americans from adopting Russian mm-hmm. children. My wife likened it to being pregnant for 15 months and then no child. <laughs> We tried to adopt from my home tribe, the Osage tribe, uh, but they didn't have an adoption program, only foster care. So we took in two girls as their foster parents, expecting to adopt them uh, as their mother had already lost parental rights on her other six children at the ripe old age of 31. And uh, after a year, instead of being granted an adoption, uh, the court decides to reunite the girls with their birth mother. Mm. Um, I'm listening to my son cry himself to sleep at night and mourning the loss of his sisters, who he was big brother to for for a year. Uh, my wife was at her wit's end, and I, I can tell you our marriage was at an all-time low. Um, in May of 2015, uh, on May 10th, uh, of all days, Mother's Day, my wife found out, surprise, she's pregnant. Wow. Um, uh, Grant Joseph was born January 10th of 2016, and he was literally the only highlight I had for that year. Uh, we named him Grant because God granted our request for another child and Joseph because the story of Joseph in the Bible is literally what kept me going through uh, during the season. And, uh, and my older son, Seth, uh, got to be a big brother after all. So it was pretty special. Yeah. Um, big Elk turned profitable uh, in December of 2017. Uh, so we've now had about, oh, uh, 14, 15 black months uh, after 38 red ones. Yeah. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got about roughly 120 employees. Uh, and we did a little over 32 million in revenue for 2018. And in September of 2018, uh, we were recognized uh, nationally by Inc. Magazine as the fastest growing company in Tulsa. 
uh, the fastest growing company in Oklahoma. And for our industry, which is manufacturing, uh, we were recognized as the fastest growing manufacturer in America. Um, it's, it's been an absolute incredible uh, journey. Uh, we've been very humbled by uh, all the recognition that we've gotten for uh, the growth. And, uh, but it's not a one-man show, Evan. I mean, behind me is the, the most incredible uh, leadership team uh, that a business leader could ask for. And uh, uh, anyway, just it's, it's been an incredible journey and, and glad to be able to share it with you here. Thank you for taking the time to share that because um, I, I mean, I still kind of get chills when you talk about uh, all the things that you went through kind of in this leadership journey. And um, if, if anything, uh, I've talked a lot about endurance in the past. You, you get endurance by stretching yourself beyond maybe what you even think is possible. Uh, but as a result of that, you're actually stronger and more uh, able to, to tackle kind of anything that's put in front of you because of something like that. And I, I would say that kind of through the story that you've talked about uh, from an endurance standpoint in, in business, um, you know, you, you have a lot more now that as the company hopefully continues to grow, um, you can kind of lean on some of those those times that you had before and say, you know, we, we have confidence moving forward because we know if we can overcome this, we can definitely overcome that. Yeah, well, it's everything you said, certainly, certainly true. And, and uh, I would tell you from, from my vantage point, the way that I phrase that when, when making the same point to folks is uh, kind of one, two, three. Number one is uh, the furnace purifies. Uh, what I mean by that is there are certain lessons that can only be learned in the fire. Mm -hmm. uh, there are things that only become known when the impurities are burned away. Um, I would tell you, I, I didn't just survive the fire. I came out a different man, a, a different mm -hmm. leader. Uh, and I, I would dare say the, the kind of leader that people actually want to follow. Um, the, the, the second thing I would tell you is there is a difference between, quote, taking a risk and going all in. Uh, there's just something about it. When there is no safety net, it changes you Yeah, and it changes those around you. Uh, I'm transparent with my people and that transparency paves the way for an unbreakable loyalty. Uh, they needed to know that long before they were ever asked to take a cut, their leader was already taking a cut. Um, humility. I humbled myself before them as we went through that famine together and yeah. there, there was a unity and camaraderie. Uh, that was forged as a result. Um, and the, the other thing that, or the last thing that I would say just on that, that same point is that when you work hard to create an environment where other people's dreams come true, uh, they in turn work hard to make your dream come true. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say our people are inspired in a way that can only come through having front row seats to a tremendous sacrifice and, uh, Evan bottom line, nothing great comes without sacrifice. And, and now I've got an army of people that, that make our growing company successful every day. And uh, we all get to share in that success. Yeah. I mean, have a better understanding what humility really means, uh, what vulnerability really means and, and, and what true transparency means. I, I think a lot of times you hear those terms and, uh, you know, I, I'll even liken them. I believe that they're principles of leadership and, um, I, I don't think that you truly understand it like in academia, like you, and like you said, you know, you know, taking that risk and fully jumping and, and not having that safety net. I mean, you, you become your own safety net and you're, you're pushing yourself out there. And so uh, even talking about how the fire purifies, you're, you're 
you're having to 100% be invested in yourself and believe in yourself. Um, and, and I think the exciting thing for me is that hopefully through people hearing your story and, and, and kind of how you're able to come through the other side, it helps them better understand uh, and be empathetic to to your what you what you went through, but also to understand what these things really mean and the benefits of them. I think when you're talking about the loyalty that's created uh, by by being transparent and having that humility and, and being able to lead by example and, and kind of show uh, the people that are on your team like what a true leader is and and being a leader worth following. Um, I think that the the results of that speak for themselves for you. And, and, and hopefully it's, it's one of those things where other people are encouraged to lead that way because uh, I actually was, was talking to some people uh, a couple days ago. And, and, and one of the things that I kind of tried to stress was you can still be successful and not have these things. You can be successful and not be transparent. You can be successful and not have humility or be vulnerable. You can kind of lead arrogantly and you can lead um, with the exact opposite of it, but it's not a fulfilling leadership. It's not a leadership where you actually feel like we've accomplished something together. You're going to be burning through people, burning through relationships. And it sounds to me like the the path that you went through, albeit uh, probably the most difficult path, um, is probably the most fulfilling path. Well, I couldn't agree more, uh, Evan. I just, I just want to say amen a few times as I was listening <laughs> to you talk there. Um, you know, just this morning, uh, I was, I was with a, uh, a group of guys that we, we meet on Thursday morning and, and, uh, you know, have a, have a visit and, and, uh, and, you know, one person will bring an idea or thought to share and whatnot. And, and today I was just challenged in a similar vein of what you were talking about. A guy was telling a story uh, about how uh, there was a, a teenage son working on his car. And while he was working on the car, the, the jack, uh, he was underneath the car and the jack wasn't uh, set properly and it rolled and he ended up getting caught in the wheel well. Mm. And he had, he had screamed for, for his mother and she heard him. And she came running outside, and by the time she gets out there, she sees what's happened. And at that point, her son's laying unconscious uh, under the car. And she she reaches down and grabs underneath the car and lifts it up and hollers at some neighbor kids who run and get some help. And while they're running to get some adult help, the mother stays there holding the car up until uh, some people come running and pull the son out from underneath. And the, what the guy was saying about this story was he said, if the son uh, did not, if the Jack had not ever given way and the son just hollered for his mother to come out and the son asks the mom say, Hey mom, would you lift up this car? Uh, what are the odds that she would be able to lift that lift that car up? Well, the the answer is none. There's not a chance that she would lift that car. But there was a circumstance whereby it brought a strength out of her that she probably didn't even know was there. But it was the the circumstance that brought it out of her. And the point of the that the the guy was challenging us this morning uh, was simply to tell us uh, he was trying to turn. There, there's an you know old adage that you know history has been shaped by uh, great men and great women, and his uh, his 
his his uh, conflict with that. He said, I'm not so sure that it's shaped by great men and great women as much as it's shaped by extreme circumstances mm-hmm. that bring that bring out something within that the people don't even know that's there themselves. And it's it's actually history is the story of uh, extraordinary situations whereby ordinary people step in and something special comes out of them that wasn't there before. And I guess I just share that as an example to say, going back to your point of it's not it's not just in academia. You know, we can all hear that story and be challenged by it. Uh, but the truth is, you take on a completely new perspective. You know, when you find yourself in the situation with your child underneath a car and all of a sudden something happens to you and you're able to lift that car up. And, um, you know, that's those are the kinds of uh, things that happen that become notable stories that we can all uh, take away from. And and, uh, you know, I'm not saying our stories exactly is exactly like that, but it's in, in a different way. It's the same point, which is uh, I can honestly say something came out of me. Uh, through this process that I'm not even sure I really knew was there, uh, but I'm grateful for it now because it's changed me in a good way. And, uh, and I hope that we continue to see good things come from it. I'm, I'm kind of honing into those last couple words that you just said, especially because um, my next question was really tied to gratitude. Um, just kind of the role that gratitude plays in your leadership now going through uh, those things. I think, you know, for, uh, for a lot of leaders, it's, it's sometimes we forget, about you know all the great things that are going on and a lot of times we focus on all the negative things that happen whether it be a lost customer or a price increase or you know the competition's getting that much more difficult and so you know sometimes you know especially as a leader you, you hear all of the the negative things that are even going on inside the organization and and you're kind of the last person that, that gets it all and then you can't really do much about it but uh, the role of gratitude, I think, is really, really important. I think this is another one of those principles, uh, and you've mentioned it multiple times, like you know, how grateful you are for the team that you have, how, how grateful you are for even the circumstance, which I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that you weren't overly grateful when it was happening, but maybe now having the uh, opportunity to look back at it and, and obviously being able to overcome it, it's really given you this this really cool platform uh, to influence other other leaders and other people around you in terms of uh, what 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 they're even capable of. But my question to you really is, you know, what, what role does gratitude have now uh, in your leadership and, and how has that changed your leadership style? Well, one, I think it's, I think it's, uh, you got to be consistent. Um, you know, for the most part, people don't have a change of character overnight or circumstance doesn't change that. Um, it's just, you may have an opportunity to be more influential uh, once you get on the, on the other side of things. Um, so uh, again, I would go back to, uh, cause you're exactly right. If, if my, uh, leadership style start getting things started would have been, you know, I need to have expertise in every key area before making a decision and moving forward. Well, we would have never grown. Yeah. Um, m- my MO has always been, you know, let's figure out what expertise needs to be at the table and, and find the right people to fill those seats and then trust them to do their job. I'm, I mean, I remember in the early, early stages, um, boy, I used to wear this out. I, we would be interviewing someone for a management position and I would, I would tell them, I'd say, you're going to have every opportunity to fail. And what I meant by that was, uh, we're not bringing you on board, uh, to then micromanage and tell you what it is that, that you need to do. Uh, instead, we're, we're giving you ownership over this particular department, over this particular area. And the reason 
that we're going with you is because you're the expert in the area. Uh, we're, we're looking to you to lead and to guide and, and, uh, and therefore, uh, you get to do it your way. Uh, however you think is the best way to do it is the way that we're going to do it. And you're going to have every opportunity to fail and no one's going to stand in the way We're we're, we're, we're putting all of our eggs in your basket. And, uh, and what did that mean? Well, it certainly didn't mean that everything went perfect. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the difference that it did make was all of our people had a sense of ownership over their area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we didn't have near the amount of finger pointing that exists, you know, in a lot of traditional organizations and when mistakes did happen, well, they, they happened for the right reason, because we were trying something, we were trying to move the needle forward. And, uh, and we look at those mistakes as just, you know, opportunities for learning experiences. And, uh, and we really promote humility throughout the organization. And that, you know, that starts at the top. And, and uh, you know, I always make it a point, uh, every opportunity I get to do my best to humble myself in front of our organization. Um, and I think there's a, uh, you know, there's a misconception out there that, that, that humility can't be a trait in a strong leader. You know, we, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we, we deceive ourselves in thinking that, you know, our leaders need to be strong. And, and part of that strength is, you know, not showing any weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I would actually contend with that a little bit. But I think that when you when you show humility and you remind people, you know, hey, I'm just a kid from Pahuska, you know, I'm just I'm just a kid from Osage County, you know, that's that's doing my best to make a difference. And, you know, if anyone wants to join up and make it happen, you know, I I didn't come from anywhere special and uh, anything special about my my background uh, necessarily. It's it's pretty much status quo with with a lot of other people that are going to be listening uh, to this broadcast. And, um, all I would say, just go back, you know, when you, when you, when you work to create an environment, uh, where, where everyone, where, where all the people, uh, where everyone's dreams can come true. I mean, you, when you're trying to foster that environment, uh, it gets contagious. And then you find that, that all those people are working to make that same thing happen for you. And, um, and it's really special when you can, when you can, uh, have that kind of environment, that kind of atmosphere. Yeah, um, especially in when we're talking about humility and 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 the environment that you're creating, you're, you're creating real relationships. And I think sometimes when we get into the roles that we're in, and we start thinking about customers and products and and employees, but it's it's people. And I think that when you can when you can uh, continually remind yourself through being humble and, and through recognizing that you're, you're serving people uh, that are your customers, you're empowering people that are your employees, and you're all just trying to uh, do good work. You're trying to accomplish something. You have, you know, these goals that you guys have, uh, even in, in, in your case, sounds like collectively put together. Uh, you're going to have so much more buy-in when you, when you do that. And again, that's where that, a lot of that, that loyalty is going to come into place too. But by being humble and by, uh, kind of emulating that you're showing people that you're a real person. And I think people can are drawn to that. And I would, I would say, especially when we're talking about, uh, you know, leaders have to have all the answers and and never make a mistake and, and everything else. I think that actually repels people because yeah. they're like, I, I can't relate to you because I'm, I am, 
you know, I'm flawed. You're not. So there, there's no way that we can really talk about much because, you know, if I bring problems to you, you're not going to have any way to empathize with me and uh, we can't really build any kind of relationship. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree hundred percent. And, and uh, you know, just to echo that, I would say, um, I, and I tell our people all the time, I say, you know, listen, we're, we're all in essence trying to accomplish the same thing. Uh, we, we all from a, from a business and from a work standpoint, we all simply want to provide for our families yeah. and, and we, we want to provide an income and we, pro, we want to provide, you know, uh, the means to conduct a way of life. Uh, and, and, and that's in essence what we're, what we're trying to accomplish if you're looking at it purely from a business and from a work standpoint. And so I, I've told our, our team many times, um, I just say, Hey, you know, big Oak is a growing company, you know, we're getting bigger, but listen, you may have an opportunity that comes along. Uh, that's an opportunity that we can't provide here. That's going to happen on occasion. And all I ask for is that we're just honest and transparent with another, with one another, come and talk about it. And if, if there's an opportunity that, that you've got that we can't provide here, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to bake a cake. We're going to thank you and be grateful for the time that you've had here. And then we're going to wish you the absolute best uh, because we're not, it's not our role to stand in the way uh, of your own progress. And if you've got an opportunity out there, um, you know, to better yourself, uh, to, to better your family situation, uh, then who are we to stand in the way? And we've stood behind that. I will tell you the, the, the nice thing is when you, uh, when you change your mentality, instead of trying to wrap your arms around your kingdom, you know, and, and build it and try to keep everyone there with various, you know, sorts of retention policies and things like that. You know, when you open up your arms and just remind everyone, Hey, we're all trying to do the same thing. And I hope that you can do that here at big Oak. But if, if, uh, if that involves an opportunity going somewhere else, listen, you know, we're not going to burn any bridges because, you know, sometimes opportunities don't work out like you think they're going to, and you might need to come back. And we want to make sure that that door's open, you know? Uh, and so anyway, that we've, I would say, you know, we're four and a half years in and I can count the number of people that have left to pursue other opportunities. Uh, on one hand, um, our retention is off the charts. It's not because we pay the best uh, and we pay pretty well. Uh, but I really think it's because, you know, in life, it's the people you work with that you spend the most time with. Unfortunately, oftentimes you spend more time with the people you work with than your own family. And we just feel that it's really important to have an environment uh, that's enjoyable. Uh, I'll tell you, we don't do some of the traditional kind of retention gotchas. One of the big things for me when we first got started was to not have a vesting program. You know, when we were doing our, our 401k matching you know, a lot of times, you know, you'll be putting money in and the company will be putting money in. But if you ever leave, uh, you only get a percentage of the amount that the company's put in based on your time with the company. You know, if you've been uh -huh. there five, five years, you might get 25 percent or 10 years, maybe 50 percent. You know, you got to be there an extended time. And the idea is that if someone's thinking about leaving, that's going to be a, in the back of their mind, a way to retain them because they're going to think, well, I don't want to give up that money. And I take an opposite philosophy with that. You know, if someone's going to stay with me for six more months until they get to the next investment milestone, I'm pretty much guaranteed crappy work for the next six months, <laughs> you know, and it's because their heart's already gone to another place. Why, why would I, why would I try to keep them there when they've got a better opportunity on the other side? So I'll tell you from the get go, 
uh, we said you're a hundred percent vested. You know, if you if you're with us for one month and we match at five percent, uh, you leave after one month. You take your money with you. You you take the company match with you. We're 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 not interested in that part of it. I tell our guys all the time. We only have one retention mechanism, and it's simply to be awesome. That's it. I mean, that's that's our only retention mechanism that we have. And uh, there may come a day where that doesn't work anymore. I don't know, but that day's not today. Um, you know, we've 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 been able to build a good culture and a and uh, everything's built on trust. There's a lot of trust and genuine affection for one another, and uh, certainly proud of that environment that we have. Yeah, culture is, I think, one of the things that a lot of companies a lot of companies want to have. Uh, a lot of companies, there's some that have good cultures that I think what people want to be a part of. And I'm sure you're, you, anyone that listens is you might get an uptick on uh, an application. So, because <laughs> <Right, right. laughs> I mean, you know, when you, when you hear about a, like a, somebody who's a leader, who's thinking this way, you're again, you're automatically drawn to that because you're like, this guy gets it. This, this leader is somebody who recognizes that they're serving people and that people are, are important. I think a lot of times people will put it up on their wall, you know, people People are our most important asset, but I don't know that they actually walk it out every single day. And I think that takes intentionality. And it, I think it part of it takes just, you know, character of, of the leadership and, and everybody that's a part of it. Um, I want to ask you this because I think I already know the answer, but uh, I, I really like to get an idea of what role uh, the word stewardship means to you in leadership. Mm. Well, um, uh, Evan, I'll just get real with you for a second on that. You know, uh, sometimes when people introduce me to someone else, you know, they'll say, they'll say, Hey, this is Jeff Hager. He's the, he's the owner of big elk. Uh -huh. Um, and I would tell you that, uh, I'm not the owner of big elk. I'm the steward mm -hmm. of big elk. Um, you know, I, it's up to it's up to everyone to make up their own mind but you know you, you got me on this show so i'm just going to tell you what i think and that's all i can, that's all i mean that's all that's I what i'm hoping for just, uh, just where it comes from 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 my vantage point you know i i think that there's something uh that there's something bigger than this life you know i'm uh uh I, i'm a i'm a faith faith person um I, I believe in eternity. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, I believe that the experience uh, here on this, this earth is just, a, a, you know, a small segment of, of, uh, of eternity. And so when you have, when you have that, that overall viewpoint, uh, what that means is, is that, you know, we're really not owners of anything. We're just, we're just stewards temporarily mm -hmm. uh, of something. And, uh, so I'm, I'm just a steward of big elk, Evan. I, I, I was not the one that birthed this idea. Uh, I was, I could take you to the spot in the hallway at the previous company I was working for when I felt in my heart that what I was supposed to do was start this business. And, uh, uh, you know, all my life I've had, I've had, I've had, uh, moments that really can only be explained by divine intervention. And, uh, I, I would tell you that, um, I made a commitment a long ago that whenever I had an opportunity uh, to share our story uh, of Big Elk, how we got started and, and where we are now, that I would give glory where glory is due. So, so for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in God and, and I always want to take the opportunity to give glory to God uh, for everything that he's done for me and for the miracle of getting this company started. 
because at the end of the day, uh, I'm not an owner of anything. I'm just a temporary steward of these things. And I try to do my, do my best to be a good steward. Well, based on what everything that I've heard so far, I, I was pretty sure that's the answer that I was going to get, but uh, I really wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that because uh, I think for me, like if I think about myself, when I began my leadership journey, um, I would be looking at what, what am I bringing to the table? How, how can I, you know, grow this company? How can, what's this thing that I can create? And it was very me centric. And I think because of that, I was not as good a leader as I potentially could have been. And I definitely didn't have any kind of, uh, loyalties with any of the teams that I had in anything else. Um, I was successful in the sense of I was moving my way up and, and making more money, but I wasn't really building anything that was meant to last. And I wasn't really making people better around me because of it. And I think that, uh, one of the biggest, um, things that kind of broaden my mindset on stewardship is uh, I talked to uh, Mark Green from Mardell and when sure. he was talking about uh, the decision that they had to sue the federal government over uh, the insurance uh, challenges yep. that they were going against. Yep. And I just couldn't get my head around how you could uh, walk away from this empire that you had built and, uh, and not o over a, a social issue. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, it came down to, Mart's belief system. Uh, his yeah. belief system was stronger than anything else. And yeah. for him, it was an easy decision. And uh, once I finally was able to kind of fully comprehend what that meant, that gave me a much better uh, image of what stewardship is and why that decision became so, so easy for him. And mm -hmm. I believe that even through some of the things that you're communicating, even in some of the darkest, uh, hardest times of, of your journey, that that role of stewardship gave you peace in those situations as opposed to worry, fear, um, doubt, all those other things that can come in. Um, I, I would, I would infer that a lot of that stuff was maybe present, but it didn't grab a hold of you, which allowed you to get through, uh, some of the, the hardest parts of everything. Well, I was able to endure because you're, you're, you're right. There was something deep down. Uh, and sometimes I had to dig way down deep, uh, because, <laughs> You know, th there were certainly times where even my inner circle of advisors were questioning what I was doing, thinking, you know, are you are you sure that you're going down the right path? Because it seems like everything that you're involved in, it's not working. You know, it's not coming together. And, um, you know, and everything was on the line. Um, but if I dig down deep enough, uh, Evan, I found that there was a piece there. And the reason there was a piece is because I knew. I knew I was doing what I was what I was called to do. And, and, and just to give you, a, you know, just a brief point on that, you know, I, I, I grew up in a small town and my parents were pastors growing up. And and so uh, I, I felt uh, called to ministry at a very young age. And, you know, for me, then what what that meant uh, to, to most people where I grew up, you know, to be to be, uh, you know, called to ministry. Uh, that meant becoming a preacher or a pastor someday. You know, it was kind of a narrow lane. That's what it looked like. And so, you know, when I felt that, I, I pursued that path. And so, you know, uh, but what's funny is every time I would try to go down that path on a more full-time basis, you know, circumstance or, or something of that nature would divert my path back to a more traditional business route. You know, so instead of going to Bible school, uh, like I thought I might, you know, I ended up going to engineering school. 
And, you know, then I spend the next, uh, you know, 10 plus years just kind of developing as a, as a professional and doing various ministry related things on a volunteer basis on the side. And I continued to have that internal conflict trying to figure out, you know, should I, should I be going down a more full-time ministry path or, or should I continue this professional career and whatnot? And I would tell you that that conflict existed until the moment uh, when I was walking down that hallway and all of a sudden I was overcome with the thought that I was supposed to start this business. And for the first time in my life, uh, I had complete peace. I didn't even fully understand it yet, Evan, but I mean, fast forward till now, nearly five years later. And here's what I would tell you. Uh, now I'm, I'm being invited to do a Ted talk and being invited to do, uh, this podcast. I got another podcast tomorrow. It's a purely business podcast that I'm doing tomorrow and this speaking engagement and that speaking engagement. And here's what I'm learning, Evan, uh, that calling that I felt at a young age, it is being fulfilled, just Mm -hmm. different than what I thought it was going to be. Instead of a pulpit, it's a podium. Mm-hmm. Instead, instead of a congregation, it's CEOs and business leaders. And 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 why do people even want to hear anything that I had to say? Suffering. <laughs> Suffering. I mean, if, if my story would have been the kind of story that, hey, we got things kicked off and it was immediate success, that didn't grab anyone's attention. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe someone will listen to it. But when you hear a story where somebody's risked everything to get to where they are, that's the story that, that changes you. And, um, and I will tell you that, um, if it wasn't for, uh, having that, that, that faith element, that sense on the inside, that there was something bigger happening than me. Um, I'm confident I wouldn't have made it. There's no way I could have made it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, you know, I had people around me that, 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 uh, that believed in me and believed in what I was doing and believed that, that I was, that I was walking out what it was that I was called to do. And, uh, and so in the midst of going through trial after trial, after trial and being on the verge of bankruptcy so many times and losing everything that we had saved for over a lifetime, um, and now emerging on the other side, you know, all, all of a sudden people want to hear that story. And what's amazing to me is it's the kind of story that really impacts people's lives. And I'm I'm supremely humbled by that. And I just I continue to be baffled at the kind of uh, impact that our story's having um, on people's lives. And it's it's just such a an enjoyment for me to see, you know, something being fulfilled uh, that I that I felt at a very young age. is just being fulfilled in a completely different way than what I thought it was going to. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, uh, no matter how big, big elk gets, uh, it's not about the size of the growth of the company. It's about the influence that you were able to get because of that. And I think that if you can take the posture of continuing to point back to all of the suffering and all the circumstances and say, not by me, but because of, of, of him, because of yeah. you know what God has done for me, I was able to get through this and he gets the glory. And yeah. it, I think it's going to eclipse anything that as a company you'd be able to do, because now we're talking about lives. Now we're talking about, you know, people's lives potentially being changed because of a story like this. And, you know, having the opportunity to share that is, and, and I love how you're looking at uh, it, not from a, um, 
you know, a, a business standpoint, but, you know, you're able to really kind of operate in your purpose, uh, but through your gifts, your gifts mm -hmm. are uh, things that are unique to you. And, and even in those circumstances where you're drawn to business, drawn to engineering, drawn to all these other things, you're still able to also fulfill things that, you know, you probably wouldn't have even thought uh, you were capable of doing. You, when it was all happening, maybe all that stuff wasn't at the forefront, but what I would say is that, you know, people now that, that are listening to this and listening to you, your story, uh, you're also giving them hope. You're, you're, they might be in those moments that you were in, uh, you know, three, four years ago. And, uh, for them, it's, it's something now that they can say, okay, I know it's possible to get through. I also know that, you know, even in the darkest time where, you know, it feels like nothing's going to go right there's this grace that, that can appear. And, and for you, so it, you know, the, the grace was, uh, you know, coming from, from that company when you were buying the building, that that was one of the things. Another one is, uh, you know, a, a circumstance with your, 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 your ability to file your taxes. I mean, those are things again, that you can point back and say, you know, I, I couldn't have done it. I, I wasn't able to do it, but because, uh, of, of God and, and some of these things, I, I can look at those instances of proof of him saying, you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. You're trying to, you're, you're accomplishing it and you don't even know really how big this actually can be, but I want to remind you that I'm there. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I love it, uh, Evan. And, and you know, it, it, it takes both. It, it, it takes dedication, um, in a spiritual sense. Uh, at least I believe that from that, uh, that the faith element is an important element, uh, to have throughout this whole process. And it takes a diligent and disciplined uh, work ethic uh, through the whole process as well. You know, one of my uh, uh, favorite stories in the Bible, it gets used for, uh, you know, sermons every now and then, is uh, when Israel's trying to make their way to the promised land. And uh, this is before, before Moses died, uh, right before that, and they went into battle with uh with the, some of the the other inhabitants of the canaanites and and uh the, it was a rough battle um they it was a it was a coin toss as to who was going to win this thing and moses ends up climbing a nearby uh mountain and if if you know this story what happened was is moses would lift his arms up in the air mm -hmm. and as his hands were lifted up israel would prevail in battle but as he got tired and his hands dropped, um, the the enemy would prevail in battle. Uh, and so uh, Aaron and Moses' brother-in-law, her, they uh, they go up to the top and they they hold Moses' arms up for him, even when he gets tired. Um, and so and then Israel wins the battle. Now a lot of people will point to this story and they'll talk about how important the spiritual side is. That the reason they won was because Moses' arms were up in the air, and that there's a lot of truth to that. And they'll use the story to say how important it is to have people come alongside you to help you. And there's a lot of truth to that. But here's the thing I would tell you today after the point that you just made, Evan. Just because Moses' arms were up in the air didn't mean that Joshua and the rest of the army could just put down their swords and expect the enemy to just fall down dead. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's there's a there's a uh, there's a, a place for the battle to take place on the mountaintop. And then there's a place there's a time and place for the battle uh, on Earth. And uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, it, it's important to 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 make sure and be humble and give gratitude um, and to uh, acknowledge and give praise to God 
for what God's done in your life. Uh, at the same time, you just can't pray and then sit on the couch and expect everything to be all right. You know, <laughs> you, you, you've got to you've got to pick up your sword and do the work because I'll tell you, getting a business started, uh, getting it forged from nothing, uh, enduring uh, you know one of the worst uh, industry downturns uh, in a generation. You know that that doesn't that doesn't uh, just just happen on the mountaintop. That also is you know a battle that takes place that requires swords and staves and you know all that sort of thing as well. So I just say uh, uh, I would encourage your listeners, particularly the ones that you know that are in the fire, or the ones that are thinking about starting a business. You know entrepreneurship. I mean that's a calling. And if you've got listeners out there that are thinking about getting that going, they need to know what they're what they're getting into. And uh, even if you're even if you're a, a faith based person, if you're a believer, uh, you need to know that it's going to try and test every aspect of you by the time it's over with. And that's 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 it by design. Uh, the reason is so that when you emerge on the other side, if you make it, you've now been forged into the person that you're destined to be. And it's just an unfortunate thing. Uh, you can't become the person that you that you're destined to be without being refined by the furnace of affliction. Yeah, and uh, that's the only way to get there. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I, that that is a I think that's one of those things that you we're just going to have to constantly remind ourselves of because I think sometimes it's easy to look look at the circumstances and blame them and blame everything else. But uh, like you said, uh, <clears throat> for you to really become what you want to become, you know, in some cases you have to be shaped shaped and purified. Um, yeah. I want to uh, ask you this this other quick question, and then we'll start wrapping this up. But uh, this is this is something that uh, is probably a little bit more recent for me in terms of kind of thinking about the thought process of all right, we're in survival mode. Or well, first of all, we're in get started mode. Then we're in survival mode, uh, and then you kind of get to this point where I think it was um, December of. 2017, you start turning a profit and the company starts to kind of start taking the steps of where it should go. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the transition from survival mode to growth mode and like mm -hmm. how your mentality shifts, shifts there? Because I think in some cases it's easy to stay in survival mode because you know how bad it can be. But at some point you got to start taking different kinds of risks to get into growth mode. And, and, and what does that process look like for you? Yeah. And I understand your question. I just don't know that, that I just don't know that it's right the way that you're, that you're, that you're, okay. it. Uh, uh, but I totally get what you're saying. Uh, here's what I would tell you. Uh, uh, growth mode started almost immediate. What, what, the, what happened? was in the midst in the midst of in the midst of growth mode there simply comes a point in time where you've grown uh past your break-even line okay um because we were we were on a growth track um you know from almost from inception uh it just happened that december of 2017 is where we finally hit uh, enough revenue where we were bringing in enough to pay the bills and and break even and then you know after that uh, you know, we're, we're, we're profitable. Um, but I get what you're saying in terms of the mentality, but I'll tell you, I, I don't know that I can answer that the right way because, the, because my answer to that is, uh, because I was already all in at the point that this thing started, I never had a point in time where, where I changed gears from, you know, one of, of, uh, one of, you know, get after it and then, you know, move into a prevent defense uh, type of mode. Um, you know, I, I already had every, every 
drop of uh, equity in my life already poured into this thing by the time we opened the doors for business. So I would tell you that uh, we had a go big or go home strategy. And and almost from inception, we were immediately moving to acquire business and grow. And and honestly, in our minds, we thought if we don't get to profitability uh, inside about 18 to 24 months, uh, it's game over. I mean, yeah. so it, it, it's it's a dash to that line uh, saying, it, you know, if we can get there, great. If we don't, it's over and I lose everything in the process. Well, here's the deal. We didn't get there in 18 to 24 months. It took 38 months. Uh, before we got there. And so, yeah, you're, you're right in saying survival in the sense of you're, you're deploying tactics that you'd never want to deploy. Um, you know, we had, we had suppliers that unfortunately we couldn't pay in 30 days. Um, we couldn't pay in 60 days. We couldn't pay in 90 days. Um, there, the significant time period uh, during, uh, during the, the deep Valley um, I, I was spending a lot of time deploying every bit of relationship equity I had, uh, to keep our suppliers online and from completely cutting us off yeah. and, and sometimes was unsuccessful in that. Uh, I mean, so like I said, we had multiple points along the way. Uh, I'm not, I'm not proud of, of, uh, you know, uh, having a business where we got, you know, key suppliers and and we, we, we can't pay them what we owe them. That's, that's a horrible feeling. And I mean, just uh, day in and day out dealing with those types of situations on top of everything else. And here's the other thing. There's nothing magical necessarily about December 2017 because, uh, you know, we, we took three years to, to, to dig that hole. And I, I liken it to, you know, digging a hole with a bulldozer for three years. And then when we finally crossed the line, um, and we start dirt back in the hole. It's like back in one shovel yeah. at a time, you know, it seems like a really difficult task. I think, man, it's a, uh, here divine intervention, the way that we were sustained and made it survived through, through the Valley, through that difficult time period. That was, that was, uh, three years in the making. Um, I felt that, uh, when we finally get to the other side, um, uh, you know, and we've, 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 we've turned profitable. Well, you know, we, we've got a big, we've got a big hole to fill. Yeah. And so the truth is we have to, we had to keep operating in a lot of ways, the same way, um, because we were trying, we were trying to get our, you know, financial health status with suppliers, you know, back to a point where we could conduct regular business. And we've still been in that mode. It's been a little over a year and we've, we've used every dime of profit that we've had coming in to, you know, to try to shore up that gigantic hole uh, that was made. So, so in some ways, you know, we'd say we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, obviously we're a long ways from where we came, uh, but now we've, now we've, uh, you know, we've continued to grow uh, and it's been, it's, you know, it's been a phenomenal journey and I'm just happy for all of our, uh, all of our team, that are finally getting able to breathe, you know, a, a little bit of breath of relief as, as we're, you know, kind of hitting into the next stage of life. Yeah. Well, I think that's, uh, I think you kind of addressed it for me. It was like, you were already all in. So it's, it's, it's start all in and stay all in. And I think, I think what, what I kind of, I kind of was getting at is like, you're all in, in survival mode. Cause it's like everything you do, like we have, like, it's got to work. If it doesn't work, then like, we don't know what's going to happen. But I feel like, the 
there's less of a commitment or potentially less of a commitment because you get a little bit comfortable or you get to a point where you're like, all right, we've hit, we've hit the goal. Now it's time to readjust the goal. Like now, so now how do we do that? Is the, is the new goal all in again, or is the new goal like maybe 50% in and we just kind of work on the incremental thing. I'm a, I'm a conservative guy in the sense that uh, I like incremental. And so like, you know, finally getting from a survival mode to a, to a solvent mode and then going into the growth mode, it's like, okay, we incrementally got out of debt. Now we incrementally grow and it, it's, it's balancing that, you know, just staying all in and, and staying all the way, all the way through. Does that make sense? It does, Evan. I appreciate your perspective. I just, unfortunately, I don't know how to live life anywhere else. It's why I don't gamble. Okay. Uh, because, uh, you know, I got lots of friends that, you know, they'll, instead of going to a movie or whatnot, they'll, they'll head out to the casino and they'll say, Hey, I've got $200. And when it's gone, that's it. Uh, you know, I have to fight from a position of strength. Unfortunately, uh, I hate to admit this about myself, but if I'm down $200, I don't know how to stop. Yeah. You know? Uh, and that's, and that's just my nature, but I, you know, this isn't a scripture, but it should be, it's from uh, dirty Harry where Clint Eastwood said, a man's got to know his limitations and, uh, and I, I, I'd like to think that I know mine by now. So, uh, you know, Evan, there may come a time soon where we'll have the opportunity to start putting some money back for a rainy day. And I, I can't wait for that time to come uh, where we'll have the choice to maybe become a little bit more conservative, but that day's not today, my friend. It's, it's, uh, it's all in still at the moment. That's awesome. Well, I, I want to wrap this up. I always give my guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. I feel like you've been doing that a little bit uh, throughout this, but I, I do want to give you an opportunity to speak to that next generation of business leaders. Uh, these are the people that are you know finding themselves in that leadership role. They're just getting started. Started. Uh, they're they're tuning in now because they're realizing that you know maybe what they thought leadership was is, is a completely different thought, and so now they're trying to grow. So this is your opportunity to speak to them. What would you say your message is to young business leaders? Again, I just Evan, I say I appreciate the opportunity to be on the broadcast and and um, and you know uh, said a lot of things uh, uh, to the listeners today, and I, I hope that have been able to uh, contribute some value. Um, I would really just kind of capstone the talk today just to tell your listeners that uh, uh, I would just I would tell you, I pray that the faith element of your life is ignited by this story uh, and by these words. And uh, and I uh, I pray that that you have and your listeners uh, are blessed and blessed beyond measure as you continue to pursue what it is that you feel in your heart that you're called to do. Uh, when everything's, uh, I want to sure that I, that I, that I left everything on the table, that I wasn't holding anything back. Um, when, when lose or draw, uh, then I can feel good about that. Um, but I don't want to walk away from this, uh, from this life, having any regret that there was, there was more that I could have given. And, uh, I think that that's the kind of attitude that you have to have in order to, uh, in order to succeed in business, in order to succeed in life. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you again so much for being a part of this. I love how we're talking about just at the very end, the pain of regret versus the pain of discomfort. Now, uh, that is a whole nother topic right there. But I, I, I love the fact that you live your life and you're encouraging others to live their lives without regrets and push yourself, be all in in everything that you're trying to do, because that's where you're going to be purified. That's where you're going to grow. And that's where you're really going to be shaped into the leader uh, that you were meant to be. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.